On the Empire Podcast this week, Ewan McGregor has the higher ground as he pops by to talk our kind of trader, while the director of Everybody Wants Some also talks to us. And I'll finish that link later. All that and more in the movie podcast that is thinking of suing Radiohead for copyright infringement, those lovable bleeper bloopers. They've just taken what we do in the Empire Podcast and put it out as an album. That's outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is Burnley's favourite son, if you don't count the Burnley FC football team that recently won the championship. And Serena McKellen. It's Johnny Pyle. Hello, mate. How are you? Very well, thank you. Excellent. I'm, uh, I'm delighted to be first. I'm never first when you introduce people. I like to mix it up. Yeah, I'm, uh, I wasn't ready. I was like, Burnley's favourite son. And then looking over at Helen saying, sounds like a me. Yeah. And looking around going, well, you're not from Burnley, Chris, and you wouldn't be introducing yourself. And Helen's not a son either. Ooh, yeah, you're true. not. I'm not. Yeah, okay. Although I'm known for my sunny disposition. You are. <laughs> Where? You are. <laughs> well, Else- elsewhere. Okay. I think we've ruined the next introduction. <laughs> like we all know who it is now. Uh, next up is uh, Port Stewart's favourite daughter if you don't count Brianna Corrigan from the beautiful south Brianna 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 she has to be my babysitter sorry I'll, I'll correct that then uh, if you don't count uh, Brianna Brina that's a strange way to pronounce Corrigan don't you think <laughs> but there you go uh, from the beautiful south and I didn't know this yeah Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki <laughs> who are temporarily from Port Stewart while they are living in a basement under your house isn't that <laughs> that's, correct that's not Helen true Helen O'Hara yes it's so true that's not true it's so true legally I must I must say that that's absolutely not true the life model decoys are they currently starting in <laughs> Supernatural they're life model decoys yeah of course yeah. alright uh, welcome both uh, we have a question bring it I'm bringing it uh, the question has been this has been delayed now from two podcasts in a row but it's such a good question that I, I wanted to, I wanted to include it at some point so here it goes it's from uh, Ankit Mathur and apologies Ankit for delaying your question he says hey guys loving the podcast oh, so it's a good start Hi. good start question for your bulbous brains are you sure you listen to the podcast um, what are the best light bulb moments in the movies like when a character has a story changing realisation like Keanu Reeves and the wildcat moment in Speed or the ticket to Venezuela moment in Spanish Prisoner or that moment in The Usual Suspects well thanks for uh, <laughs> using up all the the, uh, the examples I was going to use yeah because the right answer is The Usual Suspects probably like that's the best one I think it's the best one oh Johnny's, Ooh, Johnny's, oh, Johnny's making, a making a face like he disagrees well I mean I want to go first on this one because I'm worried that everyone will say the same thing as me, which is the multiple light bulb moments from National Treasure. <laughs> sort of when he's looking at the Declaration of Independence, he's like, I've got to steal the Declaration of Independence. And off they go and steal it, and it's wonderful. And then. <laughs> is but, it wonderful? And then later. It's truly wonderful. And then later in the movie, which is, is, I think it's less famous, but you know when they're in the, uh, the, the clothes store getting new clothes and he's paid with a number of hundred dollar bills, uh-huh. and they realise that. The secret to the next clue is on the hundred dollar ah. bill they just paid with. Wow. Oh, it's all, it is wow. that's not the light bulb moment, though. It's people, all about the Benjamins, though, that's amazing. And then they get a hundred dollar bill back and check the time, and they're like, "Oh, we've missed it by about forty minutes." And then no. Riley, Justin Bartha, he's like, "Wait, no, we didn't miss it." And he knows something about history that Benjamin Gates doesn't oh. know, which is that daylight savings time was introduced in World War One. And that actually, they've got 40 minutes to get to the place to find the next clue. So the hour is 80 minutes long? What? You said they missed it by 40 minutes and they've still got 40 minutes, so that seems like... 20, a- some minutes? <laughs> I think they missed it by 20 minutes. 
and then they've got 40 minutes to get to the place. Okay, cool. And but his light bulb moment is the moment because it's such a yeah. such a clever play on the fact that Ben knows everything and now and Riley, Riley knows Riley everything. Knows I, I can't believe you remembered two character names from that film. I'm so impressed. Um, Stephanie Seelan, <laughs> for, formerly of this parish, yeah, used to get genuinely outraged by that film because of the number of times they say the phrase Declaration of Independence. Mm. It is actually one of the better movie drinking games. If you take a drink every time someone in National Treasure says Declaration of Independence, you'll be stocious in no I mean, time. it's hard to make that movie stocious. any better, but I think with alcohol, probably, well, actually, not for no, you pretty, two. Pretty definitely, yeah. Um, but, wow. so yeah, I mean, I, I think I maybe I just love Justin Bartha realization moments because I really <laughs> love uh, the moment at the end of The Hangover as well when they realize where Justin Bartha is and then uh, Stu tackles Bradley Cooper, right? I've that's mixed right, up character yeah. names, so that's another great one. Uh, any more Justin Bartha light bulb moments you can think of? <laughs> I mean, so many. That, that I can think of I, I just can't choose one yeah he, he yeah I, I wonder what he's like when he turns on a light bulb <laughs> he must be oh, what is this thing uh, yeah, I think Johnny's nailed it I think that's the that's the right answer <laughs> yeah I've just looked it up on the on the internet and yeah yeah that's it that is the right answer so I've Steph Steele doesn't like National Treasure no she likes it she just hated the it's number amazing. of times she just hated the number of times they said Declaration of Independence I mean well, you, well, you, it doesn't have another name you no, can't call it something else. I know, but like they say the full phrase "Declaration of Independence" like a bajillion times, and well, it just really got to her. And now I've pointed out to you: next time you see it, you're going to see how many times. Well, I don't watch it. Actually, I do want to watch it. Again yeah, today. you do. I love do. that movie. I genuinely, genuinely love it. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it's if it's a Saturday night and the, the remote control is like way over there, I will watch it. I don't. I've got. But, I, I've. I just recently chucked out loads and loads of DVDs and Blu-rays because it's like they're just taking up too much space. But I kept both National Treasure films. Both. Gosh. Well. Wow. Uh, well, when they finally made the th- make the third, which they <laughs> promise at the end of Book of Secrets, because uh, the president, sure. the president, and you don't say no to the president. He comes over and says, "I've got another thing for you." Ah, mm. uh, what's that well thing? Then. What is it? What, what could, could, what it could it be? possibly be? Yeah, I want to see more of, of Benjamin Franklin Gates. Uh, who doesn't? Who who indeed? Who doesn't? Um, and Harvey Keitel is is we because that movie might rescue Harvey Keitel from his direct line TV ad nightmare. <laughs> and indeed, it could it could rescue Nicolas Cage from his choices? Hey, you said choices. Oh, come on! I don't know if he has much of a choice these days, doesn't he? Because he has to make loads of movies because of you know off-screen financial things that went on in his life. So, uh, poor guy, pretty much. We could probably make an Empire podcast movie if you offered him fifty quid. He'd have to do it. Well, there's an idea. Uh, Phil, Phil Detemnian can't be here today because he's uh, expecting a delivery, apparently, of some hot new subtitles. So uh, he couldn't be here. He was meant to be here. And he texted me what he thinks is the right answer to this question, which is the original uh, Taken in Pelham 1, 2, 3, the very, very end, when Walter Matthau goes to the home of Martin Balsam, who is one of the, the criminals, the uh, the only one to, to escape uh, and and get away with it. And earlier in the film, he's the, he sneezed, the criminal sneezed. And uh, as and and, and he and he's he's given nothing away to Walter Matthau, and so Walter leaves the flat, and then Martin Blossom sneezes, and, then, <gasps> and then the film ends with with Matthau going, "Get sun tight," and opening the door and going, "Basically, I've got you, pal. You are screwed." So there we go. So that's Phil's. That's Phil's. I, I thought What's of a yours? couple. Um, Die Hard Three. When he realizes that he's not after revenge, he's after the money. It's just like a Gruber. 
Just like a Gruber. Oh, typical Gruber. Always like always a Gruber. Like a Gruber. And, then, and then the very, very slow dawning realisation in Seven of what's in the box. So that's one of those new light bulbs that the energy saving ones it's that takes forever to get on. light bulb. You turn it on and you're like, have I actually turned this light on? And suddenly, yeah. slowly, the light builds in the room. It's a really unpleasant, grey-tinged sort of a light, that one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good when it gets there. I mean, I mean it's not, not bad. for him. It's bad. Not for her, especially not for, not her. for her. No, definitely not for her. There's tons. There's, there's tons of this stuff because this is this is one of the great ways of revealing twists in a movie. So ear earplugs on if you don't want to know. Um, but Ankit mentioned usual suspects. I don't know that there's a better one than that. I really don't. I mean, I I enjoyed your answer, Johnny, and I I admire your dedication to the National Treasure franchise. You're more <laughs> dedicated you. than arguably John Turtletop and Nicholas Cage are because they haven't made the third one. That's Shirkers. True. Slackers. If, if it was up to Johnny, look, he'd he'd be making it right now. We'd be on five by now. <laughs> in your in your house, do you have the two together on your bookcase on your DVD collection? Yeah. And if they if you pull them, do they activate a secret 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 door? Yeah, door, which yeah, is where it. I keep my copy of the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> the real copy of the Declaration of Independence. That'd be amazing because Sean Bean's still on the table. The original movie. And I realise we may be digressing here. But the, the, <laughs> just maybe. <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, this is my light bulb moment. Sean Bean lives in our film. Oh, it's, one yeah. the, it's one of the He's key... He's taken away by the police, isn't it? Early Sean Bean lives moments, you know, because he dies in everything. Yeah, I think he even dies at the end of When Saturday Comes when the, the ball rebounds at the crossbar and hits him in the head and his head falls off. I think that's what happens in that movie. But he lives, so his character, Ian... He's just in jail, yeah. Ian. 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 Which is, I think, is one of the... If, That's if, amazing. Now we've remembered three character names. If there, is, if there is a fault with the National Treasure films, and I say if, if, it's that Ian is a terrible name for a villain. It's a terrible name for a villain, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's oh, awful. I don't know. We've had Ian Freer and Ian Nathan in this office. They're both very, very likable people. I know. Well, of course. But I'm just saying it seems disrespectful to say that they couldn't, you know, be villains if they wanted to. I don't think they can. I think I think the very name uh, Ian precludes you from being a bad guy. All right, I'm going to say two. These are these are my choices. They're not definitive by any stretch of imagination, and I know that we're leaving tons out. Oh, by the way, I read one today because I was doing a little bit of uh, reading around about this, and one did pop back into my mind, which is the end of Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, which has a reveal. <laughs> if I don't know if you recall this reveal, but. It's the sort of thing that they would not be able to get away with nowadays. If you recall the end of Ace Ventura Pet Detective, uh, at the very, very end, he has a revelation about the true nature of Sean Young's bad guy. Right. And he then, because uh, it turns out that Sean Young is actually a guy, ah. and he's uh, horrified by that, and then spends two minutes, like, washing his mouth out with bleach and stuff. And yeah. You're, you're, yeah. So that that popped back into my head. That's a weird one. And they wouldn't be able to get away with that these days. One would hope not. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it was just a few years ago as well. How weird. Uh, the Sixth Sense is a, is a good one. When Bruce Willis realises that he's a twist. Um, and then... Uh, I, Rollo Tomasi. Rollo Tomasi. Rollo Tomasi. That is a great one. Because that works on two levels. Because there's a light bulb moment for Jack Vincennes... Uh, again, Kevin Spacey, uh, when he's shot in the heart, and that's like, oh, I've been shot in the heart. Hey, you're the bad guy, <laughs> kind of thing. Oh, what? Oh, now I'm dead. But the real light bulb moment in that it belongs to uh, Guy Pierce when uh, James Cromwell says the name Rollo Tomasi to him to try and get a lead on it, and that reveals to Guy Pierce's character Ed Exley 
that James Cromwell is actually the bad guy. Should we say LA Confidential at this point in case no one knows? Did I not say LA Confidential? LA Confidential. Hosting podcasts since 2012. <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing, people. Yes, LA Confidential. That's one of my favourites. So there we Just go. Just in case you weren't sure what film was being spoiled for you. <laughs> It was LA Confidential. I mean, not just spoiled, but comprehensively spoiled. <laughs> Next week, we'll, <laughs> we'll spoil another movie. Sooner or later, we'll get to something you do care about. Uh, right. Should we move on? Yes. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast and dealt with by a bunch of bumbling idiots, uh, then do email to us at podcast at empireonline.com. We're also on the Twitter machine as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. And we're on Facebook, Empire Magazine. And we do have a bunch of Facebook questions, which is good. So I'll get to those in due course. Uh, okay. Time now for our first guest, who this week is one of our favourite actors. In fact, he's one of our favourite actors every week. Uh, he burst onto the big screen with various collaborations with Danny Boyle, including, of course, Shallow Grave, Train Spotting, and A Life Less Ordinary. Uh, he became a Jedi Knight along the way. He rode a bike around a bit, uh, and he's been in, in approximately 627 movies in the past month, including this week's John Le Carre adaptation, Our Kind of Traitor. Uh, he's our kind of Ewan McGregor, if you will, and Phil was chatting to him. Enjoy. Really thrilled to welcome you and McGregor to the Empire Podcast. Thank Hello, you. Hello, sir. Welcome. Thank you very much. We're very pleased to have you to have you on to talk about our kind of traitor yeah. and, and other things. Right. Um, I, I was wondering about this this movie. It's a Le Carre, mm-hmm. and uh, it's coming at a time that sort of just follows on the footsteps of the Night Manager. Yeah. Um, Tinker Taylor wasn't that long ago when it was exactly. made. Um, it's Le Carre feels like a real sort of cinematic and television brand now in a way. Do you mm-hmm. agree with that? I don't know. I don't. Um, I, I haven't seen the um, the Night Manager because it's not. I live in the states. This hasn't come out in the states yet. I think it's starting there this week. I think, but um, so I haven't seen it. I can't talk it's about really it, good. and it's a shame because I I really like Tom. I worked with him on stage, and um, we did a, we did Othello together at the Donmar Warehouse here in London. And uh, so I look forward to seeing it. But um, I'm not sure there's talk of like him coming back at Le Carre And I feel like he's always been there, you know, mm. right back as long as he's been writing novels. I think people have been adapting them for the screen because he lends, he lends himself to that because he's such a his stories are very good and driving. And also he writes such great detail about characters. Mm. So I liked reading his book very much for this one. I read the script first. This is usually the way with me yeah. when I get offered a, a role. Often I haven't read the, the book uh, beforehand, and so then I, 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 the book becomes like filling in gaps or giving you details about character that maybe aren't in the you know you don't have time to write about in the film script. Yeah, I liked it. I think it's a great it's a great novel, and it's nice, sort of contemporary. It's it's got an old fashioned spy f- feel because it's about it's it could be a bit sort of Cold War if you like mm. because it's British Secret Service and Russia, but instead of it being Cold War, it's the Russian Mafia and the British Secret Service. So Yes, I was going to say that, it reminded me a little bit, maybe that it's partly said in Marrakesh, of um, Hitchcock's um, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Oh, yeah. Just a little smidge of that. Yes. Um, that your character... Yeah, and um, then also Hitchcock's um, North by Northwest, because it really is a story about a man, I mean, in that case, it was about a very glamorous, handsome businessman who finds himself sort of embroiled into some espionage. And in, in my case, it's a... a um, a professor, you know, a, a teacher of poetics yes. in a London college who finds it's himself true. sort of drawn into a into, into a situation between the British Secret Service and the Russian Mafia. Ah, oh, so so Perry Makepeace. Um badass yeah. name by the way. Perrins <laughs> Peregrine Makepeace. I suppose Perry is a Peregrine. shortened form of Peregrine. Yeah. 
Peregrine, if to give him his full name. He's a sort of new, new Roger Thornhill, in a sense, in this film. Um, was it a relief to you to be in a movie in which a, a, another actor gets their junk out and it not be you? Yes. I was very happy to let Stellan swing, you know, freely in the breeze. for, uh, And I, I haven't been naked in something for a while, to be honest. That's probably because of my age now. People are less... <laughs> people are less... Uh, uh, they're sort of more reluctant to get me to get my kit off in movies than they used to be. I was going to say, and this is going to sound like sycophancy of the worst kind, but when Danny Boyle was talking about doing the train spotting sequel, he, he always said down the years that he was waiting for the cast to get older looking. Yeah. But you kind of haven't really got a lot older looking. No, I have. I have. I mean, I mean, I, I, he, the, book, the, the sequel to the train spotting novel, the yes. novel porno, is set maybe 10 years after the novel of train spotting. Yeah. Okay. But the, but I think the movie that we'll make this year in the summer is going to be, it's now. You know, it's like we are. We're not going to be acting ten years after Trenchbotting. It'll be right. It's, well, it'll be twenty twenty years, I guess. So. so will Renton be on Twitter, for instance? Will he have a healthy Facebook profile? Oh, that's an interesting point. I don't know. Do you think maybe I should start one? Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm sure start. they'll start. Yeah, you, you probably should. Well, you're an active Twitter tweeter, obviously. Um, Trenchbotting just feels like. One of those films that's just been so in the zeitgeist. I remember when it came out, um, the poster everywhere, yeah, and the the, the, the soundtrack everywhere, yeah. Um, and it, I think it still is to a certain extent. Have you had down the years just number of times, and you just keep getting confronted with train spotting abelia, as it were? Not really. I mean, there's there's other films that I've made where I'm confronted with their abelia more. Which ones? Well, the, the, well, yes, the, of course, the three not obvious ones, I suppose. Yeah, um, which are more in the sort of I don't know, it's unbelievably sort of in the social zeitgeist all the time. I don't really know why that is, but it seems to be the case. But with train spotting, it's more it's more infrequent, but it, it's you find somebody found me a a deep a video, it probably was a video when it first came out, with a lighter and uh I think it was a pack of Rizzlers really? and a pair of sunglasses and so somebody found the you wouldn't get away with that now, would you? <laughs> no. Film promotion with yeah, a lighter no. and a pack of Rizzlers. But anyway, <laughs> they found their lighter from that from that pack, I guess, and mm. gave it to me. And it's a really cool, old-fashioned lighter with train spotting written on it, and things like that are really cool. I like that. That's cool. Well, there's raised the bar for the for the uh, promotion for the sequel. Yeah, free needles. <laughs> yeah, well, the times have changed to an extent. Um, aside from um, our kind of traitor, you're a busy man in the cinema at the moment because mm. you've got um, Miles Ahead with Don yes. Cheadle, the, yeah. the, the Miles Davis a kind of biopic. Yeah, um, and which he directed and acted in yeah, brilliantly. Cool, right, and actually, good point, yes. It happened before I shot American Pastoral, and I didn't know I was going to be directing American Pastoral when I worked with Don, but I did learn a lot from him, and I watched him like a hawk when he was... I'd never acted with somebody who was also directing before. So it was my first experience of that. And it was, it's odd to begin with the first day or two to get notes from your acting partners, sort of like it's a big no-no in acting. You know, you don't, you don't ever tell the person you're acting with what to do, or at least you shouldn't. And I would never dream of doing so. And so it was sort of peculiar for me as an actor to be given no, you know, in the in the middle of a take for the other actor to go, no cut, no do it, like, try it, doing it like this, you know. <laughs> you're like piss off, like, fuck you, what the hell? Um, but uh, in actual fact, it becomes very normal, and and within a couple of days, it's like second nature. And I found it to be quite more inclusive in actual mm. fact because because there's no one coming from the outside world into mm. the scene, but you're actually just discussing it together and then doing it again. It feels. It feels that they, for the actors that we've got more 
creative input, I think. Right. And it's like the actors are in charge. You yeah. know, we've taken over. It's quite good. It's quite funny. Um, you've also got Jane Got a Gun, which I wondered if, you know, you play um, Colin McCann. Uh, he's, a, he's a cracking villain, I have to say. Yeah. I haven't seen you in too many villain roles. Um, you, 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 uh, have you had anyone that's seen the film and come up to you and not realise you were in it? Because you are heavily disguised in yeah. this film. I haven't met too many people who have seen it at right. all, to be honest. I've seen it, and yeah. I didn't realise it was you for a good, like, 20 minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> I might be oh, honest. That's good. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad about that. I loved it. I came in very late on that movie, and the making of that movie would be a yes. movie in itself. It started and stopped. Do you know the full backstory? Three back or four times. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I, I don't know probably more than you do, but I know that the film started on its first day without a director, and they had to find a director, and then... Um, I had to stop for other reasons uh, two or three weeks into the shoot. And then they got to the point where they had cast other actors to play the role that I played. Mm. And one by one, they couldn't do it for one reason or another to the point where they ran out of scenes to shoot without this actor. So they stopped. Right. And uh, I was just coming back for... I'd been shooting uh, Son of a Gun because I was in my gun Gun phase. phase period of my life. It was my blue period, my gun period. And... um, I'd just got back from that, so I'd been away, and it was quite unusual because I was in Australia. I was away from my family and my kids for like 12 weeks. It was a long stretch away, and I literally got the call a day before I flew back home saying, help, <laughs> can you come to Santa, um, Santa Fe and, and uh, in New Mexico and, and save the movie and shoot this wow. part? So I, couldn't, I didn't have the heart to say no, and also I wanted to work with Gavin O'Connor and... I mm. love Natalie Portman, and I'm good friends with Joel Edgerton's brother, Nash Edgerton. So there were so many connections, and I was so thrilled to be asked, uh, to be honest. The to family. play, to be in a Western, and to be in a, to play the bad guy in a Western is, a, is something I love to always have done. So I got home, squeezed my kids, and <laughs> repacked my bag, and off I went again. So, um, But it wasn't for too long, and uh, it was. I'm happy to be in it, and I think it's a very fine film. Yeah, they forgave you. The they did, they did, yeah. They got, they um, I have to wrap shortly, but I just before I go, um, I know a lot of people are very excited about Beauty and the Beast, a live-action fantasia of a film that people are really, really fond of. Two yeah. films, in fact, because you've got the Belle and La Bette as well, the old French yeah. version of the myth. Right. Um, you play a man, a character, who is basically in charge of holding candles for a period of the movie. Mm-hmm. Did that require a lot of sort of preparation work at home? In Physical of, strength. Yeah. How big are the candles? I don't know what to give away about it, to be honest. Can you tell me about the audition? Because I understand you had to sing, or at least members of the cast had to sing a song from The Lion King. Oh, I didn't. Did you do not? What did you, did you have to do I any of the audition, audition yeah, darling? Of course, man. I just swanned in. No, I, I didn't have to audition. They, were, they uh, asked me to play the role. And it's, you know, it's one of those things. It was great fun to do. I was surrounded by fantastic people. Mm. Serene McKellen and Emma Thompson, Stanley Tucci. I mean, we, were, we had a great cast and it was fun. Um, but again, it's uh, sort of a daunting role because so many people are familiar and fond of the original, mm. the, the animation. Yeah. So, you know, and then there's a temptation, I feel, not with Bill Condon, who's the director and a very fine director, but from maybe musically speaking, some of the other people involved to recreate what he did. And I was thinking, well, I can't do that. I can't recreate what someone else did. I want to make it my own. So... um we're still in that process. We haven't finished. We we still are due to do some more recording with the dialogue right. and the and the and the song. I found the accent harder. I've lived with a French woman for 
over 20 years and I have to and I found the French accent really difficult to mm. do yeah I thought it would just come naturally but it sounded um, definitely more Mexican than French so we're still working on that <laughs> I don't want to do a Mexican <laughs> Lumiere you know <laughs> well, we not for any other reason than he's meant to be in France <laughs> you may have to record a Mexican version though so you'll be ahead of the curve oh right exactly I mean, who knows that. Yeah, who no, knows right, right. Um, last question I just want to squeeze one train spotting sequel yes. snippet from you that no one else knows can you tell me for instance Renton's first line of dialogue or first word in the script no can you tell me um, if the word tra- can you, do you know the title at this point do you uh, know it yeah I think they're going to call it T2 right <laughs> does the word train spotting have to be in the title do you feel no I don't think so porno I, no it's, I don't think it's going to be called porno it's very loosely based on the novel yeah. porno um, which was the sequel novel to tr- the Trainspotting novel, but quite loosely, I have right. to say. Perfect. Well, we're looking forward to T2. <laughs> Did I, I, I didn't answer T2. any of your questions, really. Well, no, but I can understand why not. Can you tell me when you start shooting? Uh, the summertime. We're shooting the summer yeah, right. in Scotland. Lovely stuff. We're looking forward yeah. to that. You McGregor, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Much appreciated. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Okay, time now to talk about movie news. Uh, so, because we're talking about trailers now in the podcast... Sure. Thanks to the reader who pointed out that not talking about them was silly. Um, let's talk about the Assassin's Creed trailer, which which hit the interwebs uh, today, the time of recording. Uh, Johnny's a huge fan of the video game franchise. Is that fair to say, or do you just play it because you're addicted to video games? Uh, I mean, neither of those things are strictly true, but okay. uh, I've, I've certainly played a number yeah. of them, yeah. Okay. I have uh, a couple of platinum trophies. Well, this, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means, but this is good because I have questions. Go. So, um, so... He just happens to be on death row and he's the person who's the descendant of the person they need. Do they know? Next. Right. Um, so like, but like in the games, is it like, is it sort of, are they always on death row? And that's how the, he just gets kidnapped in the games, doesn't he? He's like a normal bloke. The, the, the first um, modern day protagonist does yeah. get, uh, I believe, kidnapped. Yes. Right. And he's stuck in a room. You don't really know why. So certainly for the whole first game, you don't know why okay. he's there. And he just goes back he goes back in time to uh, the Holy Lands uh, crusade time okay and then the next games are set is Florence is that Florence at some point it's Italian Renaissance sure. yes okay and then there's uh, American uh, War of Independence War of Independence I was going to say Civil War but it's Independence and then Ooh. so on and so forth okay this is interesting nothing so, in Spain really nothing I mean, in Spain uh, it's just a well, they, I think they go to Spain in uh, we, were, we were talking and reminiscing about it yesterday yeah, in yeah, Assassin's we Creed uh, Brotherhood of we course, think, we think there might be a mission in Spain, <laughs> right? But I can't for can't for say for definite. But this one is set very much in Spain, isn't yes, it? Yes, it does yeah. seem to be. Yeah, he's that- a completely new character in a completely new time period okay. for the franchise. Mm. So, I mean, um, do we know they haven't confirmed the time period beyond what we see on screen? Spanish right? Inquisition. Yeah, but that's like that lasted four hundred years. Fifteenth century. Well, no, it lasted from fourteen eighty until no, 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 eighteen hundreds. It's fifteenth century. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I think it's about ten past four. Thank you, thank you. This is helpful. Judging so, from the, the, the um, way the sun was hanging in the sky, yeah, because the the the, um, the Inquisition arrived in Seville in 1482. Obviously. So I was I was wondering, like, is it them arriving or what? And but that would be interesting because if it's 1482, then they haven't actually um, unified Spain yet. There's still a war going on against the Moors in Granada. So that's kind of an interesting potentially time if they actually mm. use a bit of history in there. Well, I was, I was, I have to say, I was intrigued when I saw the trailer and that line came up because nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, <laughs> which is famously not true, is it? You just turned around and looked at the door, Chris. Yeah, Helen, you'll know this. Yes, yeah, they have. maybe it's not true. 
Uh, the Spanish Inquisition always gave like 30 days notice. Yeah, this is interesting. Actually, I mean, just just to digress for a minute, the the Spanish Inquisition wasn't that bad. They killed far fewer people than burned in the English witch trials. They used a comfy chair? Uh, They used the comfy chair. Uh, They didn't use the comfy chair. Their chief weapons were fear and surprise. (laughs) Their their two chief weapons were fear and surprise. And And a nice red uniform. (laughs) And a ruthless efficiency. (laughs) Um, Sorry. No, but genuinely, they, they there's a theory in in historian circles that um, their their effect of, their effect and their violence was blown out of all proportion by people who hated the Spanish crown, basically during the sort of 1800s. So they, you know, they made there's there's the sort of the black legend of Spain. So they made Spain sound more savage and more backward and more violent than it actually is, and that the Spanish Inquisition wasn't maybe quite as terrible as it's portrayed. So I suspect they're going to ignore that in this film, and they're going to go for well, that would make sense the to worst, to yeah, it. yeah. yeah. But the we're not, worst we're not, bits of the Inquisition. But they, there was a, a little bit of in, inquisitizing. Oh, wasn't there was there? some inquisitizing, and they did kill three thousand people um, during the three hundred years. They so were not that bad then. But that's during three hundred years, so it's not that bad compared to the rest it's of just Europe. Just a thousand and, every century. Yeah. Also, how do we know those records were accurate back uh, at the time because they didn't have pen and paper? Because they were ruthlessly efficient, Chris. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, it's it's honestly it's it is an interesting setting because you've got uh, a clash of sort of civilizations in Seville at that time. You see him jumping off the Giralda, which is now the bell tower of Seville Cathedral, which is very recently finished at the time. In fact, I think it wasn't even finished if it is in the 1480s. Um, and How do you know so much about this stuff. I tour guide there, and uh, and and that's in, cool. In that was era? built by Muslims. It was originally a, a, a tower to call the faithful to prayer. So it's, it's cool. Are you excited about the trailer? Do you think it looks good? Um, I, I just I like it's it's really. I feel like this whole thing is overcomplicated. I would have lost the modern day framework personally, but maybe there's a really great reason to keep it. I don't know. In so. the trailer, though, that looks like that looks like the only bit with any semblance of a plot in it. It looks like the only interesting bit that, which is odd, because in the games you're like, oh, ditch the modern day stuff. No mm. one cares. Let's just play in you know Italy, Spain, wherever. Sure. Four hundred years ago, but I don't know. Like in the trailer, it is a trailer, so there's no real plot in it anyway. But like, just feels that. The oldie timey stuff. I don't know why I said oldie timey, but I did. <laughs> that felt entirely action focused and like plot light, whereas it seems that there's interesting things that are going on are going on in the modern day. It, it does, and certainly if they've got Cotillard and uh, Jeremy Irons in the modern day stuff, then that would suggest that the sort of the acting heavy heavy lifting is going to be there. So I was wondering, like, is it going to be some one of these things where he's been framed to get him into that position, and there's going to be a thing where he has to fight his way free? or something in the modern bit. I don't in know. the games, you don't want to be with Abstergo. They are the bad guys. Bad guys. They are the okay. Templars. She does, oh. uh, yeah. Okay. And Marianne Cotillard does look a bit evil in this she one. She does look evil. She uh, looks, yeah, I wouldn't... And Jeremy Irons doesn't look cuddly, I think it's fair to say. I, I, you, you would cuddle him. I wouldn't cuddle him. I'd give him a firm, manly handshake. Okay. Yeah, he wouldn't no. like that. Yeah. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> But I thought the trailer looked pretty good, I have mm. to say. Justin Kurtzel, the director, looks to be bringing his own style to it as yeah. well. So, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And I know that Fassbender was doing a lot of uh, training for the for the movie. I still think we're hoping that this will be the video game adaptation that's actually good, right? I mean... The, you know. Are we still hoping that Warcraft might be that? Oh, that's game? true. We are. We are. So, this, we're hoping this will be number two. Yeah. Right. Okay, fine. But not number two in but the bad not, sense. Not in not in the toilet sense. No. Okay. All right. But yeah, there we go. So that's the, the, the trailer for Assassin's Creed. Nicely discussed. And um, once again, I wasn't expecting a kind of Spanish Inquisition. 
No, nope. still haven't come in. <laughs> Monty Python still has not walked in the door, Chris. Who would have thought it? My goodness. Honestly, if I were Michael Palin and I saw the trailer, I my eyes would light up and I would get into my Spanish Inquisition costume because yeah. he'd still fit into it. And I would roam London just hoping that people would be discussing the Assassin's Creed trailer. Wow. And then I would burst in. Yeah, saying that nobody expected Yeah. You. I mean, now I'm really disappointed that he has better things to do with his time. <laughs> my goodness. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, right, what should we talk about? What else? What else is there to talk about? There must be some other things other than the Assassin's Creed trailer. How about Jack Black? Jack Black, yeah. He's joining he's, Jumanji. He's signed up for Jumanji opposite Dwayne Johnson and uh, Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. A little heart and a big Johnson. So, so tell me who he is in Jumanji based on the original film. Well, we don't know yet. Is he, which Because I feel they could all play Robin Williams' character. But then I also <laughs> feel there are no other characters for them to play. I feel like he could be... I think Jack Black could make a good fist of being the sort of the, the hunter dude. Do you remember the... Yeah. I think he'd be that. The bad guy. The bad guy. Okay. I had, and, I had a crazy thought about this today. Okay. And my crazy thought is... Uh, Dwayne the Johnson Rock yep. uh, tweeted or Instagram something he he, so he said oh delighted to be joined by J- Jack Emvin <gasps> Black because he because he's a rock and sure. you know he can't bring himself to swear on, on social media uh, so he said mm, fun rather than motherfucking mm-hmm. uh, Jack Black is joining Jumanji it'll be the role, performance of a lifetime of a lifetime so that indicates to me that either he is A going to be the Robin Williams character who the guy who's trapped in the game and comes out uh, having lived his life within the game oh okay yeah, yeah. or and this is where the, the conspiracy theory this is where Benjamin Franklin Gates might come in mm-hmm. he's playing R.L. Stein, and it's a <laughs> it's a Goosebumps Jumanji crossover because Would watch because Goosebumps, yep. same studio. Yep. Uh, same kind of age same, range. Same age range. And let's be honest, same plot. You're right. <gasps> so, why? What? It, this, there's no reason. It's on nonsense, obviously, and a mad conspiracy theory. But that, that's, that's my conspiracy theory. I'm putting it out there. That this is not just Jumanji, but it's also Goosebumps 2. Jumanji with, versus Goosebumps. Because we know that Sony... They're combining Men in Black and Jump Street yep. into one movie. So why not combine Jumanji and Goosebumps into a, into one movie as well? I, do you know what? That is the best crazy, ridiculous uh, conspiracy theory that you have ever come up with. There's more. And then the sequels to those two are then combined into oh one movie. So oh Men in Black meets Jump Street meets Jumanji meets Goosebumps. And they've got Spider-Man back. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And if we can get the National Treasure series in there somehow, I know it's Disney, but come on. Come I think, on. We, I think well, we can make it work. If Disney have loaned Iron Man to Spider-Man, they can loan Ben Gates. Well, the thing you have to wonder about a third National <laughs> Treasure movie is what treasure is there for them still to seek, right? They've got the treasure from the Templars in the first one. Yeah. And the second one was... Lost City of Gold. Lost City of Gold. Okay. So where is there a massive mythical well, horde of there treasure? Are, there are seven Lost Cities of Gold. Okay. Oh my God! So you're mm-hmm. seeing an, like release that many. Well, more? I just remember that from the TV show, The Mysterious Cities of Gold. There was one in that they found one, and then they did a sequel about two years yeah, ago, sure, which is to another. find the second one. Yeah. yeah. Which I didn't see, so spoilers. Uh, and then you know potentially there could be five more of those TV shows. I would love to see uh, National Treasure Three take place in the BBC archives, and <sighs> they well, find uh, the missing Doctor Who's, missing Doctor Who's, missing Dad's army. 
that, all that's that great stuff. Yeah, that. I mean, that's. I think the National Treasure we all want the to missing see. Pete and Dud episodes. God, oh. not only, but also the, no. But it was just when you said when lost. you pointed out that National Treasure was owned I'm by Disney. I'm, I'm thinking my way through other Disney properties that right. they could cross over with, and I was thinking like, hey, just a crazy idea here. Something like Wakanda, they could cross over. Oh. We know Black Panther's got a heck of a lot of money. Where's it coming from? Where is it coming from? Follow the money. Follow Which then that the crosses money. over with all the president's men. So Woodward and Bernstein <laughs> investigate. But hang on. What? <gasps> Woodward is... Oh, no. Woodward's Robert Redford, who, as we all know, is Alexander Pierce, the head of Hydra. Oh, my God. We've blown this thing. Does that mean open. Nixon was a good guy? I'm really confused. Should we talk about something else? <laughs> oh, my God. I've really got the deep throat this. Big time. I've got to go home tonight and do some serious deep throating. <laughs> just to, what? Nothing. Are you okay? I just have a. a <laughs> don't, don't say it. <laughs> you got something in your throat. All right. Okay. <laughs> I said don't say it, and then I immediately said it. Don't say I'm it because I want to. <laughs> yeah, essentially, I I apologise uh, profusely to someone. All right. Okay. What else? What else is there? What well, should we talk about? Um, is, is, there's some sort of film festival going on in France. Is that a new thing? <laughs> uh, yes, I've never heard of it before. Cannes Film Festival. Where have you, have you all been? John, have you been? I've never been. You've never I've been, been to been. France. We used to have uh, <laughs> summers on the door dying. <laughs> but no, I've not been to the film festival. Oh man, you're you're missing you're missing a lot of walking. You are actually a lot really? of walking. I, I went last year for the first time. I was there for a princely three days. Saw one film, which was terrible. What was it? It was called Sea of Trees. It hasn't even been released here. Sea of Trees? Yeah, Matthew McConaughey and, uh, yeah. and Naomi Watts. And Ken Watanabe. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Not good. Uh, and um, and there's a lot of Euro trash. You know the way, like, you remember Euro trash used to be on TV back in the day and there'd be all these incredibly tanned people with, you know, incredibly false bits. Um, yes, I remember that. They, they actually Love exist and they, and they come out and they parade every night in Cannes. Okay. And you can sort of see these strange looking individuals go past okay it sounds great it's it's fascinating okay yeah yeah it's it's interesting uh, I, I will never have I'll never go through childbirth obviously but for me the Cannes Film Festival is a bit like that equivalent, the equivalent of that for me um, because it, it's it's quite hellish when you're doing it and then you uh, you you leave it behind and you go oh well I quite enjoyed that Oh, that'd be good. Oh, I'd like to go back. But, you know, as always next year. Always next year. But we have Damon Wise out there at the moment who's doing stuff for us. So um, Yeah, but there hasn't been much news yet out of Cannes. The new Woody Allen is apparently not bad. Um, I've, I've, I've seen, heard not bad. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard, you know, slightly warmer From than Damon that. Damon Wise, in fact. Yeah, I've heard slightly warmer reviews than that and then slightly colder reviews, but the, the consensus is in the not bad range. Um, Which is what generally happens when a Woody Allen film comes out. And then there was a very strange film this morning uh, called Staying Vertical, and all I've seen so far is tweets, not full reviews, but that sounds like this year's Love 3D, if you remember the Gaspar Noé film from last year. Remember it. Even more Boy, explicit. do I love that movie. Really? <laughs> uh, I got through about 10 minutes and decided it wasn't for me. Yeah, I saw it on the big screen in 3D and it was it was, it was not for me either, if I'm honest. I so. lasted about 10 minutes as well. <sighs> Too easy. Let's move on. Uh, so Michael Shannon has uh, joined Guillermo del Toro's new movie. Uh, so Guillermo is linked to... Uh, he's attached to Fantastic Voyage, but he's not making that first. He's making one of his smaller movies 
next is called The Shape of Water and uh, we know it's it's going to be set against the backdrop of the Cold War it's going to be a kind of a love story with maybe a magical element to it as well good cast Sally Hawkins we love Sally Hawkins mm. Octavia Spencer we love Octavia Spencer Brilliant. Richard Jenkins we love Richard Jenkins oh amazing and, uh, Michael Shannon has joined the cast as well so uh, it's all very very exciting so fingers crossed for that one that sounds great but to join that cast he's left another cast he's mm-hmm. left uh, Steven Soderbergh's NASCAR heist movie well, that's because Soderbergh is retired, so that must be some kind of hallucination on everyone's part. No, but Kylo Ren is signed up instead now in his, really? in, to replace him. His real name is Adam Driver, of course. Of course. But they just want a driver, and then he, he answered the call. <laughs> I don't Because it's a NASCAR film. What? See what it was, no? What? Follow the money. I read about Adam Driver and something else today. There is a rumour that he will be involved in Terry Gilliam's long, 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 long awaited. You missed the out man- long. Sorry, I apologise. Do long, it again. Long, 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 <laughs> long, 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 long awaited. No, now you're singing in a circle. <laughs> the man who killed Don Quixote. Which should be uh, exciting. I will believe it when I see it. I, I just, come on. I mean, there has never been a project that has had more blood, sweat and tears put into it You have not this. seen Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 in that case. I have not, and I'm okay with that. Mm. Um, it, it, this needs to happen, and if Adam Driver can help it happen, then Godspeed to all concerned. But um, I, would, I would really, really hope that that happens because uh, it's, been, it's been decades. It needs to be off Terry Gilliam's plate. And onto our screens. Yes, indeedly, beadly. Uh, right. Uh, and yes, I did just say indeedly, beadly. Uh, so there's three things that broke last week in time honoured tradition just as our podcast went up. Uh, number one, Michael Cicchino to score Marvel's Doctor Strange. I, I approve of this. I am okay with this. I think he is the best uh, composer in Hollywood right now. And if I could choose one composer to go back and rescore all the Marvel movies so that all the themes progress from film to film like Star Wars, it would be Chikino for me. So that's that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But there are two big stories of Broken Friday. So I'll give you an option of which one to discuss first. Tom Hooper directing Cats. Ugh. Or <laughs> Alden Ehrenreich, apparently 100% confirmed as Han Solo. Although I still don't think there's an official announcement yet. Can we do cats first, just to get it out of the way? Let's do cats to get out of the way. I mean, uh, you did it when you went, ugh. Well, no, that's, that, I mean, I don't mean that against Tom Hooper. I mean that against cats. Oh, I cats. saw that musical uh, when it came back to London recently, because I'm like, oh, this is a big famous musical that yeah. people talk about. It's I should, I should go see it. It's so unbelievably terrible. It's, yeah. it's, Why it's is it terrible? It's utterly awful. The music isn't great, apart from that one song that you know. I don't know. Oh, Memories. Memories. No, wait, no, that's no, the other no, one. No, no, oh, no, no. oh, yeah, that's the other one. I was thinking the Barbara Streisand one. Uh, so there's... Uh, okay, that one. Also, they're all cats. It's stupid. I don't care. I just... Oh, that's, I hated it. I mean, yeah. you lots of films have cats in it. The Jungle Book has cats in it. I mean, yeah, but those cats are good. These cats are terrible. I Yeah, I, I, I took my wife to see it because uh, it came back to the West End and Nicole Scherzinger uh, from the Pussycat Dolls That's, was in it. It was the same production I saw. Yeah, and it was it was billed as... She sang very well. She sang very well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was billed as, come and see Nicole Scherzinger. Nicole Scherzinger in Cats. Starring in Cats. It's Griselda? Griselda? Griselda. Griselda. Uh, and you go, oh, that's... Oh, oh, Griselda. That's, oh, yes, let's watch that. And then she's on she's on stage for about eight minutes. She has, Most she of it has is, the one good song. She has the one good song. Most of it involves her uh, standing at the back 
licking her paws and looking a bit sad and then she has the one good song towards the end and then she does a reprise of it uh, towards the end as well and then that's it and you're kind of going oh well okay but as long as the rest of it is good then that's fine but it's not it's terrible it's absolutely terrible we're going to get the musical theatre people um, coming after us for saying this so, so you quickly know. mention Hamilton just yeah. to, so they can, you know, <laughs> I'm you've... literally drinking out of a Hamilton mug right now look that was a that was a Hamilton water bottle. So I just it's it's not I don't understand. It's one of these things we we talked about it at the time, Chris, mm. where you come out going, how is this a huge phenomenon that everyone has gone to see over thirty years? How how what do people see in it that we're not seeing? I, I genuinely don't understand. What, Tom Hooper, what why? I don't understand. But what do people say about it? I don't know. I don't understand where they're coming from. That's the because this is the moment problem. to immediately hit the internet and like go to whatever the Rotten Tomatoes of the West End is and like read the reviews, right? Oh, they're all just. But they all just seem to think it's great that you know these cats like jump around a bit and then you know. <laughs> Jellical cats. Jellical cats. Oh, I feel similar about Phantom of the Opera. Phantom I like, of the Opera. Da, 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 da. I love that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that bit's great. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I like that one. No, but well, it has like at least two good songs, if not three. So the rest of the show's boring. Yeah, but it has a plot and a character no that goes through the middle. No. no, genuinely, there's not a plot. Uh, blow. I probably the best seats I ever had for a, a theatre production as well. We were like second row. It was great. The actors came into the audience, not like that. Um, it wasn't like the eight juice bigger though. European gigolo situation um, it was but they, they walked among us in their silly little cat costumes and uh, you know at times because you, you could see the actor's eyes you were really close and you could see just like, oh, what am I doing <laughs> why, why I made this choice um, awful Anyway, Awful. so so yeah, so uh, but, I mean, he's doing it, and I'm sure it'll be huge. But we look forward to the Oscars, and and, uh, and I'm fascinated to know how it is done. But I I don't get it right yeah. now. Yeah, and you could do a lot worse than cast Nicole Scherzinger. Sugar, you could as uh, Nicole Scherzinger. Thanks, Chris. Nicole Scherzinger as um, Grisella. Yes, sir. Uh, oh, now I remember now when I bought my. Uh, because uh, I bought tickets for my wife for as a Christmas present, and I, I put like lots of different photographs of people into different envelopes as a bit of a clue. So there was a picture of Nicole Kidman, and then there was a picture of Cher, and then there was a picture of Brian Singer. Amazing. And then there was a picture of a cat. She still didn't put it together. That is that is strange. Imagine not putting those things together. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? All right. So the other one is Alden Ehrenreich, cast as young Han Solo. This is definitely 100% official because this was a deadline uh, said in the States that this is happening. It's, it's, it's happened. He's won out and he has been cast as young Han Solo. I still haven't seen an official release from Lucasfilm. I won't believe this until at least three years after the film comes out <laughs> with a minute. Uh, but it looks like he has um, beaten Jack Rayner and uh, Taron Edges into the role. Well, I mean, he was a, a bit of a favourite of ours in, in Hail Caesar. Uh, we do love him. Uh I think he's probably the one who looks most like Harrison Ford out of those three, albeit he's also probably the shortest. Um, Aren't you a little short to be a Han Solo? I mean, that seems that seems cruel now. Now we say it out loud, but anyway. But you know, I think I think he could be good. Uh, I'm still not 100 percent clear why we're having a young Han Solo film, but I am assured by Lawrence Kasdan on this very podcast when he talked to us about Star Wars that that there is something there worth telling, <coughs> and that it won't just be a how I got my Chewie. You know, so happy <laughs> I thought I'd happily watch that. <laughs> How I Met My Chewie. That'd, that'd be amazing. Uh, Johnny, what are your thoughts on this? 
he seems fine. I really liked him mm. in Hail Caesar. Um, I wanted Taron. Yeah. I liked Taron. I really liked him as Eddie the Eagle. He was charming. He was so, really charming in that. And, but, uh, and, and so I've seen Taron in more things and know he could probably do it. Whereas I've seen um, this guy whose name I Bolden, can't pronounce. Yeah. And uh, well, I've seen him do one thing and he did it really well, but yeah. it you know, wasn't that and much of a stretch, I don't He had think. a tiny role in Blue Jasmine, which people might have seen as well. Beautiful um, Creatures. He was in Br- Beautiful Creatures. We talked to him for that. Uh, many many years ago now it feels like on the pod on the pod hey amazing so you can go back and listen to that episode you if go. you want to hear yeah. the man who would be the future Han Solo I think the basic thing is though you see it and you're not like ugh god you're like great yeah that's 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 the good news mm. so but yeah, yeah there are actors out there who were linked with the role that had they been cast I would have hurled everything out the window anyway so uh, it looks like Alden Ehrenreich is Han Solo uh, my scepticism toward this movie has been has been well documented but I love Phil Lord I love Chris Miller I love Han Solo I love Star Wars I love Alden Ehrenreich I, I suspect they'll make a great movie would that it were so simple uh, <laughs> see trippingly dear boy Tripping, trippingly so, so, oh, subtle references uh, okay that's it for movie news isn't it I think so yeah okay we're done um, okay so on to our second guest now I and I said earlier on I would do this link later uh, and I wasn't kidding because our next guest is the director of Slacker Days to Confused School of Rock Waking Life Scanner Darkly Boyhood tons of other movies and now of the before course Before Trilogy The Before Trilogy how did I forget that a lot uh, so yeah Before Sunrise Before Sunset Before Midnight uh, that's it okay not in the right order but there you go uh, and now he's the director of Everybody Wants Some exclamation mark exclamation mark a spiritual sequel to Days and Confused we sent John Nugent along to him it is of course Richard Linklater 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 that's what I was doing okay there we go Enjoy. Richard Linklater, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you? Yeah, very well. All right. Um, we are obviously here to talk about Everybody Wants Some. Yes. Um, two this, exclamation points. Two exclamation points. Well, this joins like the pantheon of exclamation points movies, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got like Airplane and Three Amigos. Yeah. Safety Last. I think the first, who did it first? Like the Rogers and Hammerstein musical Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had an exclamation point after it back in 43. So yeah. that might have been the first exclamation point. Yeah, so this, I guess you could call it a sort of um, coming-of-age movie, a college movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've personally never played baseball. I've never, <laughs> I've never been to Texas. But I felt, you know, sort of weirdly nostalgic watching this film. <laughs> Good. Cinema's powerful that way. It can make you, transport you to a place in time that you kind of make it look fun or... Uh, at least interesting you know culturally or you know it's a powerful medium that way i didn't really set out to make a nostalgic film or i'm not particularly nostalgic person at all there's no point in my life i'd like to go back and relive or but you know i'm usually making films that i'm trying to figure out what i think about a certain subject or something but i think this is the first one where i kind of landed on oh yeah that was a pretty good time (laughs) to me you know maybe it was you know my adult life starting there i go oh that was good you know that was a good time to be in college culturally and just socially everything about that moment it was kind of pre-reagan era reagan bush era pre-aids pre you know there were a lot of pre's in the world so Mm -hmm. to me looking back it seemed like kind of a transitional moment it never feels that way when you're in it you just think this is the world you know and i think a lot of young people see this movie and, you know, you always have to be excited about your moment, you know, with the music you like and everything going on around you. But 
um, th- there's certain elements you look at this and go, oh, that was pretty fun. People don't really dance that way anymore. It was much more social and communal. You know, if you got five people in a car back then, you know, you might sing along to a song or, you know, have some fun. Now I think you'd have everybody with their head in their lap, you know, texting somebody or checking something. Yeah. You know, it's like eh, everybody's kind of technology kind of isolates. It connects on one level, but it kind of isolates on another. So so everybody wants some, um, if it was set in 2016, would just be via Twitter or? <laughs> I don't know. Not really. I could have set this in a contemporary setting and it would still be the same story. Yeah. It would just be a little different. So what is interesting about this film is it sort of it deals with the jocks, it deals with the the, mm-hmm. the, the alpha males, I guess. <laughs> the, the sort of bro culture has got a bit of a bad rap in recent years, but yeah. this sort of celebrates that yeah. subset, I guess. I think I was looking back like that was the that was it for me. Like I look back at my life, and it was that was the end of the testosterone bro culture <laughs> in my life. So I was going like it, it's kind of a short lived thing, and people see it as kind of a dangerous thing you know you get a pack of young people young men together they can do bad things but i don't remember any of that we didn't do that we were like it was just a fun group of people who you know were very competitive because we played sports but there weren't guys who were you know it's, it's really the gamut of personalities but it didn't have a dark side and i think well why should it you know these guys are at the top of the food chain they, yeah. you know sports the way the public kind of elevates sports to, I, I think, an unhealthy way. But if you're an athlete and you find yourself in it, you can't blame them for being like kind of going along for the ride, you know? Yeah, I liked how the, all the characters were sort of pretty much devoid of prejudice. I mean, they took on these other subcultures like punk and. Yeah. Uh, and disco and even country and western and they just sort of embraced it yeah. and i thought that's that's something you don't often see in films it tends to be more sort of rigidly stereotyped yeah i think the world wants to break you down and put you in a group and i think people do that just the way they might see this group of guys oh they're athletes they must be you know a bunch of bad guys that we don't like or something but familiarity you know if you get to know people you see that. But I think that was just being that age. You know, the, the walls come down probably a little older you get. I run into old friends. I like, when did you become such a, you know, reactionary redneck? Because <laughs> you were like a cool young person. What happened? You know, if you listen to the wrong radio and watch yeah. the wrong TV, the world gets a little more. You find out you're an angry person about stuff. <laughs> but um, youth is about being open you know, ideally open to experience, open to new ideas. Yeah. You should be curious and not think you have the answers and be open to finding out more about yourself, you know. Yeah, this film obviously has a massive ensemble cast. Yeah. Um, am I right in thinking you guys all got together for a few weeks beforehand mm-hmm. and, and just sort of hung out? Yeah, that's, th- that's the methodology. Yeah. I always want to get that rehearsal time just so we yeah. can... Um, you know, kind of get each other's rhythms. You know, I'm trying to just make the best movie I can. And the way I, I can maybe do that is getting to know my cast and uh, fine-tuning the script around them and uh, building on the ideas that are in the script. i never too precious about it. It's not like theater. You know, you're not a great playwright or something or it's not a piece of literature. A, a, a film script is just the beginning to make the movie that I, that I want to make. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really trying to dial in those characters with and have a kind of a melding of the character on the page with the actor I've cast. 
So what was that rehearsal process like? Because you, you were living together, right? You, you were yeah. sort of living on each other's... Fun. Pockets. I have a lot of... I have some land outside of Austin and a, a big bunkhouse. Oh, nice. You know, my daughter has, like, her whole class over, you know, so it can sleep, like... Right. 12, well, they're kind of double bed, so it technically it could probably sleep a lot more, but so it's each like a, guy like had their dormitory. own... Yeah, it's like, a, you know, like 12 guys were able to live <laughs> in this one area. Wow. And uh, it was good. I knew they would bond. Like, that's really getting to know someone. If you're, We were working on this thing all the time. Even when yeah. I would leave them in the evening, I knew they were still working. In the same way, okay. it, it would all be beneficial. So there was no hijinks then? There was no, like, hazing behind the scenes? No, no. There, it was kind of adult adults kind of looking back too old for that sort of thing yeah but this this film is semi-autobiographical mm-hmm. is, is that right to say so i mean how Certainly. much are there elements that are drawn from real life are, yeah, are there I a think, sort of characters that's that based on real I think people the characters are these amalgams of guys i knew or the types of people and it definitely feels like it grew out of that real life experience mm. almost everything in the movie you could say happened on some level okay it'd probably be easier to say what didn't exactly happen okay you know i wasn't taped to a fence duct taped to a fence <laughs> with the, that happened to a friend of mine at a school in okay. louisiana was there but, ever a friend who would chat up women saying he had an average penis to sort of lower <laughs> their expectations not at that time. That was later in life. Okay. I had an actor friend who did that. He actually did that. And did it like, work? That, that's a pretty good... Yeah, it worked. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. I'm going to use that someday. Yeah. And I thought Finnegan, you know, Glenn Powell's character, I thought, okay, he's the guy who can pull yeah. off that. I mean, that's, that's pretty audacious, isn't it? Yeah. An interesting tactic. And you work on very interesting time frames. I mean, you've, Boyhood was shot over uh, 12 mm-hmm. years... Everybody wants some set over a weekend. I mean, long weekend. Yeah. What's the next? Are you going to have a, your next film just set over an hour? Or <laughs> I want to set one in backwards time, <laughs> like you actually lose time. <laughs> yeah, like Memento go, or something. Yeah, you go back in time. Yeah, I've done my my animated film Waking Life is arguably you you don't know the time frame of that mm. movie. It could be seconds. In a way, that's the weirdest of all. So that's kind of the the oddest of them all. No one ever mentions. Yeah, I, d- I did want to ask you about uh, Waking Life, actually. That's, mm-hmm. uh, I was a film and philosophy student, so that was sort of Perfect. my, my <laughs> yeah. ideal movie. I yeah, watched it on exactly. repeat. Um, I, the philosophy is a sort of thing, a thread that runs through all of your movies, in, in a way. I mean, you've even got Maybe. characters in this movie talking about Camus and, yeah. and the myth of Sisyphus. And, right. Um, I mean, what is it that attracts you to that sort of material? And I mean, Would you consider another sort of boldly philosophical movie yeah, again? Yeah, I have... Yeah, I have several that I'm working on that would fit into that category, I guess. Yeah, Isn't it kind of just the way you process the world or where you think about life? So I guess that's just always been there. And I always thought it was kind of interesting, characters commenting on life or talking about it, that that in itself can be cinematic. Yeah. That's the big leap, that if you think cinema isn't a place for that. So I've always rebelled against that notion like you know cinema you're not supposed to show people talking about things you're supposed to show people doing things yeah that's cinema 101 (laughs) and i was always like well people talking about things is kind of doing things you know that's evocative in its own way it depends is it compelling is it interesting is it funny who are they are you do you do you find them um interesting you know the characters so i've always kind of never quite bought that notion 
I was up. I was up for the challenge, trying to <laughs> trying to make it work. Yeah, I think that's all the time we have. But Richard Linklater, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, well, great talking to you. Great talking to you. So. Cheers. All right, thanks. Okay, so that was Richard Linklater with uh, John Nugent. Um, and let's talk. Let's start off the re- movie reviews section with everybody wants some exclamation mark exclamation mark. <laughs> Does this mean we have to call it dazed ampersand confused? (laughs) Quite possibly. Uh, Helen? Yeah, this is uh, very much like dazed and confused in that it's a sort of, uh, not a day in the life, but several days in the life of uh, a group of young men. Uh, Our our sort of focus character, if you like, is Jake, who's played by Blake Jenner, who's pretty much a newcomer. Um, And he's the freshman who turns up to college uh, a few days before term starts because he's on the baseball team. I guess he's got a sort of baseball scholarship or however these things worked in 1980 America. And uh, he moves into the baseball team house where they all live together. And it's basically a group of guys hanging out and partying before term starts. That is the plot. That's the plot. That is the entire plot of the movie. Spoiler, it's a bunch of guys who party. Um but it's just kind of, it's just really strangely charming. And I say this as someone who's not necessarily disposed to like a film about a bunch of essentially frat jocks um, trying to get off with as many women as possible in as short a time as possible. But there's just, there's a kind of an innocence to their uh, massive enthusiasm for basically partying. And it's just, it's just very sweet. They're so young. I don't know. Uh, so a really, really good cast. Most of them not that well known. Uh, I think for me, Glenn Powell as Finn was the standout. I think he's absolutely terrific in this. I think he's going to get a bit of a, a wind behind him coming out from this. He's the kind of charismatic ladies man, but there is a little bit of another side to him that you begin to see, which I think just makes him really, really fascinating. Uh, you've got Wyatt Russell, who's been good in a few things recently, um, as Willoughby, who's the stoner dude, who's the kind of uh, spiritual guru, I feel like, sure. at the house. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just it's just a nice and very believable collection of, you know, average young men uh, listening to good music, as you would expect from a Richard Linklater film, hmm. and, uh, you know, partying in Texas. Yeah, I I thought it was just just wonderful. Yeah, because I mean it's, it's so easy in a, a film with so many characters for some of them to get lost. But yeah. I felt like there were there are twelve main characters in this, and I felt that every single one of them I recognised as distinct. I knew who they were. Yeah, and I think that's a very very difficult thing to do, and he's done it you know almost effortlessly. Mm-hmm. And the airport fight is fantastic. <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> the ping pong match though, absolutely yeah, terrific. I mean this is great and. Um, Glenn Powell's uh, character says something in it which uh, you know really rung true to me as a, a man who has been a younger man and has been to university and lived with <laughs> other men. And he said, you know, you, um, you know, we all take our turn at being uh, chumps. We accept our chumpification and then we pass it on. And there is that. There is that. that you know, then no one is. Um, you know, immune. No one is yeah. the. I'm the lead jock guy, <laughs> and there's no like. I'm his crazy sidekick, and but it's all felt very, very real to me. Yeah, that that is true actually. Because um, I've forgotten his character name, but Tyler Hotchlin yeah. is the guy from Teen Wolf. He's actually also, also from the kid from Road to Perdition back in the day. He is he is afflicted with a terrible moustache in this film, and he's kind <laughs> of he would see himself, I think, as the lead jock. He would see himself as the. Yeah. as the main guy and he's certainly intensely competitive but he also he's the one in the ridiculous crop t-shirts 
so he looks like you as know, was the style at the time. As was the style at the time. I'm, so, I'm wearing one now. But to, yes, Chris, and I've been meaning to ask you about that. Should please, I put the trousers don't. on? Yeah, okay. if you could. But you know, in the in the style at the time, you may it may have looked very cool. But to modern eyes, he looks, you know, like he's on his way out to a party of a different sort. And it, you know, it's just it's a it's a very interesting way to present him. I think it's great. Yeah, uh, we really love this movie. Yeah. Fantastic. And so we gave a one star. <laughs> Four stars for everybody wants some exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Uh, but yes, as you can see, Helen and Johnny absolutely adored it. Yeah. Uh, good stuff indeed. Okay, up next is a movie that came out in the States in March. It is Tina Fey's A Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, uh, directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, uh, starring Tina Fey, of course, uh, and Martin Freeman and Margot Robbie. Uh, Johnny, what's this one like and what's it about? Well, uh, Tina Fey is, uh, works in TV, but is going nowhere, so accepts a commission to go to live in Kabul and um, cover the war there, which she does. She meets Margot Robbie, who is another journalist out there, and uh, Martin Freeman does the same thing. And they live in what they call the Kabubble, which is, you know, this uh, all these, I suppose, expats living together, partying hard and, you know, chasing down stories. And so it starts off kind of light and and fuzzy and she complains about you know there's been so much feces in the air when you get over there and then it becomes uh, slightly more serious as the I suppose as you know the realities of the war hit home I haven't really loved many of Tina Fey's movies but really do like her on TV really like 30 Rock and think she's a wonderful comedian and this feels like the most successful she's been on the on the big screen and so it is funny her relationship with Martin Freeman's character and her relationship with Margot Robbie's character are both interesting mm. it's very difficult to balance the drama of the fact that you're at war with a comedy and I think it actually does quite a good job of that mm. uh, it's based of course on the book The uh, Taliban Shuffle by the journalist Kim Barker and that's essentially who Tina Fey is playing in this yeah. it's, a, it's you know, very very closely adapted but they changed the name uh, Taliban Shuffle uh, you, you can kind of see why Whiskey Tiger Foxtrot I'm not sure that's name. much of a better name. And it's a good name. It's a good yeah. name. Yeah, WTF. I, yeah, I know I, what it, I know. I get the connotations, but no, no, no. Do yeah. you understand it? Yes. So WTF? If you like, that's phonetics, and then you put the initial letters there, and it stands for something else. Well, what the fuck does WTF mean? Oh, we'll we'll check later. Look, can you look it up online? Another another shout out. We're full of references today. Oh, Amazing. God, it's, like, it's like a film podcast or something. Uh, so this is three stars. We gave it three stars, which is a recommendation. Three stars for a whiskey tango foxtrot, uh, which indeed is a recommendation, as Johnny says. Uh, up next, Green Room. Yeah, this is a new one from uh, Jeremy Saulnier, who's presumably going to follow it with something involving the colour red, because uh, this comes after Blue Ruin, so it would yep. make sense. Yeah. Um, this, uh, is, I think yellow would make more sense. It depends on whether you're going like in terms of paint or in terms of light. I think if you're going in... Th- oh. <laughs> that, that told me stopped me dead in my tracks fine <laughs> as you were <laughs> so um, it's <laughs> it's a story set in Oregon it's about a punk band called The Ain't Right it's not an origin story Chris oh, it's an okay. Oregon, Oregon story okay. um, it's both it's an Oregon town <laughs> The Ain't Right are a punk band they are playing at a club which turns out to be full of neo-Nazis basically so uh, mm. naturally the band opened with a cover of the Dead Kennedys Nazi Punks Fuck Off uh, which is brilliant. Um, but actually, they kind of seem to win everybody over during the gig. It goes okay. They get back to their green room, the dressing room, and discover a corpse and her friend. Um, and essentially, it then becomes a siege movie. They 
take the bouncer hostage, um, the the manager of the club and his boss, uh, who is played by Patrick Stewart, uh, outside lead their own people to try and resolve the situation by any means necessary. And those means are rather gory. So if you are of a delicate disposition, this is not the movie for you this week. It is not. Do Mm -hmm. not go and see it. People Mm -hmm. have left the theatre. It should be called Red Room, basically. Yeah, uh, people have left the theatre rather the worse for wear. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's essentially a siege movie from that point on. It's kind of, uh, you know, conversations and then bursts of action as things kind of go horrendously wrong. There are very tense negotiations. It does have some surprises. You, you know, yep. you won't see everything coming, I don't think, in this one, which I think is, is nice because, you know, sometimes in this kind of movie, you know exactly what's going to happen and to who and when. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that isn't the case here. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of love this. We give this four stars as well. But again, just mm-hmm. it, this one, this four stars does come with a caveat that you have to be gore ready. Yeah. I, I liked Blue Room, but I didn't love it. Uh, I thought it was a little too uh, self-satisfied at times, but I liked the fact that it it it, it unfolded in, in very interesting ways. And this one does as well. You're absolutely right. You're not going to see everything coming, and we shouldn't talk about it too much in, in yeah. detail because it might give stuff away. But uh, Patrick Stewart, very very good. I very really good. really really like his sweater in this as well. <laughs> I mean, sure, that's definitely what leapt out for, for, from his performance. It's what I take away from most from films. most films. Yeah. Is- jumper advice is your sweater action up to speed sure and in this case it is so well done Sir Sir Patrick uh, and four stars as you rightly say for Green Room okay also out this week um, is our kind of trailer sadly we're not going to get a lot of time to discuss it in depth but it is a solid adaptation of John le Carre with good performances uh, three stars for that one which is a recommendation so do check it out if you like uh, your spy movies and also out this week we talked earlier on about video games um, uh, is Warcraft or Assassin's Creed going to be the first proper belter and I was going to say well maybe the Birds movie which is out this week might be the first proper belter and then I realised we, re- we gave it two stars and, 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 it, and it is not the first proper belter so no. John Nugent saw that and complained that the birds just weren't angry enough <laughs> rarely angry he said the birds to were to be fair though they John were Nugent birds, but they were a, chirpy he's a very angry man though and I'm not sure that much uh, on screen anger would really match his, his level he goes into things just angry looking to take it down and destroy people's careers he's not happy if he hasn't destroyed at least four careers poor breakfast wow <laughs> that's, that's John Nugent I mean, I who's a perfectly lovely guy and I don't know why I've painted him as this in the podcast but there you go is he going to edit this as well uh, does he edit this week's episode will he uh, possibly in which case he'll keep us in John uh, right so that's it for this week's Emperor podcast uh, join us next week for more film related fun we'll be joined by Jack Rayner who made Ooh. it to the top three uh, apparently for Han Solo and John Carney who didn't uh, the star and director of the excellent Sing Street right. will be joined by them so very very good uh, uh, until then until then it is goodbye from Helen Toodaloo. it's goodbye from Johnny goodbye uh, who's off now to watch both National Treasures I presume yeah I've only seen them twice today already so <laughs> I'm behind my usual quota gotta write that Ben Gates fan fiction and uh, it's goodbye from me uh, and I'm off to have a light bulb moment in fact I just had one I remember what is possibly my favourite light bulb moment across film and television. And it's the episode of Spaced where Simon Pegg goes, Oh my God. And then he realises he's got some fucking Jaffa cakes in his pocket. <laughs> that one. That one. Mic drop. That was a pen. See you next week. Bye.